0: You're listening to audio from Plank Harvest Church, located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgirlharvest.org. I want to start reminding you, I put my... uh trinkets here, our Passover trinkets. We had a nice Passover meal last night. I thought it was nice. It seemed pretty good until the septic tank went down on us, but then by a miracle of God, I happened to know a guy that knew a guy, and and we got a guy over there with a mini X to give us some relief so that we can have a service this morning and have toilets that flush. So God bless America. Thank you, Jay Wolfram, wherever you are, and and for working on that. But we had a great time together, a great time of fellowship, even the cleaning up. People were laughing, smiling. We had a really good time together, and I hope that in the future you'll kind of try to make an opportunity for yourself to have one or put one on in your home. and There's videos on YouTube, easy to do. But it's one of the uh, feasts that's commanded to be done until Christ's return. And we've put it off a lot in the Christian church um, over the centuries. And what happened way back when, about 1,700 years ago, a man named Constantine uh, tried to incorporate the Jewish uh, God, the God, uh, God the Father, we would call him Adonai, Adonai Hainu, we would call him. Yeshua, another name, was Jesus. And he was going to incorporate that into the, to, just trying to coordinate all the peoples of the land that he was in charge of. And he, that's where we got the, the beginnings of the Catholic Church came from right there. He saw a vision in the sky, he says. And this sign, Conqueror, it was a sign of a cross in the clouds, he said. And so he took the pagan churches of the time, and he glommed them together with the the... the church of israel basically the church of christ the true church of christ the christ um, beginning there and what happened was was a bad thing seemed like a good thing at the time he just said everybody's a christian if you're not a christian we're going to kill you and they're like okay i'm a christian and so uh, so when he did that what they did was they subdued the jewish side of christianity so passover got put away and they glommed on to this this pagan idol named Ishtar, which we call Easter today, and they added that. And actually, there's a scripture in the King James Bible that uses the word Easter. And of course, that was written in the time of King James in England back there around 1611, more or less, 1610. Amen. And they actually used the word Easter in there, but what the word should be is Passover. And so, um, trying to appease people there. And so, what happened is over time, Easter took prominence, the resurrection. And what took the back seat was passover was the death of christ and it's really important This is the one that jesus tells us to recognize. He doesn't tell us to recognize his resurrection He tells us to recognize his death and we're going to see that this morning I want to show you some things there I don't want you to go home go to grandma and grandpa And they've been going to easter services since moses was a kid and you're going to go there and like what you're doing is wrong It's the sin. It's the devil if you want to recognize the resurrection of christ god bless you It's a good thing because by his resurrection we're allowed to be resurrected. It's excellent, but it's not the one we're commanded to, to do, so let's what, look at the one we're commanded to do. You can have both. You don't have to have one or the other. You can have both. So we're going to look at both this morning, and, and I'm not trying to demean the, the, the resurrection in any way. I do, I do like to avoid the, the term Easter because of, of its roots, but that's just me. I'm, I'm kind of crazy like that. So yesterday was Passover, and in the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and today we're going to sin terribly and eat pizza leavened pizza bread. And, um, but Jews around the world begin celebrating the Passover festival in their homes and different things. And another thing I learned recently was that Jews today tend not to eat lamb on Passover anymore, something to do with the fact that they can't do the sacrifice at the temple anymore, so now they're eating roast beef. And what it is is it's just the hard heart of people holding on to tradition over what the Word of God says. Why do we do that? I wrote a little devotional this morning about a sheep that we had to chase around. And uh, though it is somewhat humorous, if you had been there, it was funnier. It was not that funny at the time. But me and the other shepherd there, we, we did a little track meet out there chasing these two little, they were no bigger than Parker. I'm telling you, these things were this long and this tall, but swift like the gazelle. And uh, so we chased them a couple laps around, finally got them caught. And one of them was uh, Matar for the, for the Passover yesterday, but he might, have, he might have lived one more day if he hadn't kept up that kind of shenanigans, but the point is, is that um, uh, for 3,333 years, Orthodox Jews, those that are seeking to be close to God, are sacrificing a lamb. For 3,333, think about that, it's, three, it's four perfect numbers together there. That's kind of interesting, but, um, and they're celebrating their exodus from slavery from Egypt. So as obedient Jews Jesus celebrated Passover as did Paul as did Peter as did all the disciples if you look in the You look through any of the Gospels, but particularly Matthew and Mark where they're more Jewish Uh, John is not as Jewish as Matthew and Mark Luke is not as Jewish But uh, if you look in there, you'll see him. He's keeping the feast. He's keeping the feast 12 years old He's keeping the feast. He's getting he's uh, the last supper is him keeping the feast Paul talks about trying to hurry back to Jerusalem because he wants to keep the feast. He wants to keep Passover. He wants to keep Pentecost because he's supposed to be in Jerusalem because he's a a Jewish man and he's supposed to be there on those days keeping the feast. He wants to be obedient. He wants to see God move. When does God move? He moves during the feast. When when does the flames of fire come down on the people's head? When was it? Feast of what? Pentecost. It's during the feast of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, And those guys were there, they're being obedient. They're looking for God's hand to move during the feast. And they're looking for the picture of the Messiah to come, even that. So even the Christians, believe this or not, this is going to mess you up a little bit, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Even the Christians, to the time of Constantine, they kept the Sabbath. They kept the feasts. So if we're going to read God's word, we're going to be diligent to read God's word, then we need to do what God's word says to do, and then we need to be, we want to be a New Testament church, we need to see what his word says, and then we need to do that. The Jews got off track a long, long, long time, way back when Christ comes. I want to show you this today. They got off track, and they got into these traditional things that were way different From what god's word told them to do and what it became was a terrible burden on the people Trying to keep up these traditions that had nothing to do with the directions that god gave them to do And so they got off track and what happened like we've been talking about over the last couple weeks Was at the time of christ It says the good sower planted the seed the good farmer and immediately the evil one came and planted the tares So from right there right from Christ The evil one comes in and plants tares of tradition and different things. Some good, some not so good. And they carry on and then they get amplified during Constantine. And the tares are starting to shadow out the wheat. Just like Jed said, we're starting to see it terribly, tragically in our culture now. And uh, so it's a problem. So we're like, how can we figure out exactly what God wants from us as a nation, as a people, as his people? Well, we can go to his word. We got the answer right here. We just got to open the book. We got to read the book. And we do what the book tells us to do. It's easy. It's like putting together a blender. You got to open the box. It says screw the thingy on the bottom with the little whirly thing and the the little gasket thing. And you screw it on. You put the lid on with the little knot thing that if you don't put on there, it shoots the juice out the top of the blender. All you got to do is do what the book tells you to do. And you got a good blender or a bullet. The new one's called the bullet. I've seen one. I think we have one. It's the upside down blender. (laughs) But the point is you use the book we use the book for every other thing, but for how to live our lives And tragically, we don't so you may not know this or not But like we were talking about passover is communion, which we're going to celebrate next week passover We call it communion. And like I said, jesus says (laughs) do this in remembrance of me, why do we do passover in remembrance of him? So we read through the book yesterday The the messianic haggadah and we we read through it and we did what it said to do In that order and we can see the messiah all through it through the cups of redemption Through the cup of sacrifice the cup of deliverance. We see it all the way We see the bread that he broke and, and the afikoman the dessert and we break it into little pieces This is my body broken for you do this in remembrance of me We break it all up and we take it and it's supposed to linger on our tongue and We're supposed to remember the gift of the sacrifice of the body of christ he took his body and was put on the cross for us on that day so so let's let's work on this a second and and see if we can figure this out so jesus began his open ministry about his 30th year and from that time on not that he wasn't ministering before that he was ministering in a different way in a very public way at about his 30th year which is an important thing because that's when a rabbi could begin to take on disciples he he begins to take on disciples he begins to teach and he's constantly preaching this gospel message. The very, anybody know the sentence of the very first gospel message that Jesus preached? Repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And everyone who sees him, guess what they get to hear first? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Guess what your message should be to the world, to everyone that you see? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's now. And as believers, we have the book, this is the, uh, the Constitution Declaration of Independence for believers that we can use to show us how to live in this kingdom that is at hand now, even though we don't see it around us as well as we wish we could, because it's an eternal kingdom, and we're ambassadors in a fallen kingdom, but as kingdom ambassadors here, we're to live in this way. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he taught people about the law. He did teach the law. Well, he... he a lot of people will say, well, this is a time of grace and the law has no bearing. Well, then why did he teach about the law? Go back to Matthew, read the first nine chapters. And he takes the law apart and he says, you think that it's, uh, you've never committed adultery? Have you ever looked at a woman with lust in your eyes? Then you've committed adultery in your heart. Oh, I thought well, it wasn't about the law. It is about the law. Is stealing right now? Is murder right now? Well, how come all these other laws are still in, in vogue? But the the sabbath is not we don't have to keep the sabbath. The sabbath doesn't mean anything spending time with the lord one day a week I can do what I want to do Man, the law is there. Jesus kept the law. He did stuff on the sabbath. Yes, he did he healed he preached He served he ate He beat up people in the temple if you need stuff to do you got a list of stuff you can do Go down there and beat somebody up at central make you feel better do it on a sunday when there's lots of people there But keep the law do what he says to do all you got to do is do what he says to do And your life is is a kingdom life in that The people the thing that jesus did do though And I don't want to I don't want you to think i'm going down this kind of legalistic track Because that was the one thing that jesus was not about He wasn't about keeping a bunch of rules trying to gain the kingdom. He was showing them that he is the kingdom Be like him But if we're going to be like christ, we need to be completely like christ We need to live like christ lives You said it this morning jed You said the the truth Uh speaking the truth with love and everybody gets hung up on the love thing and that's what happened in canada They've been so worried about offending people with the truth of christ That they've actually been unloving and not giving them the truth And now these people are going to die and and end up in the outer darkness Because they've not been told the truth. They're worried about offending. We can't be worried about offending the world The world is going to be offended by you if you're a believer in Christ. It's just how it is And so as a believer in Christ, we need to be truthful Be as loving as you can, but don't avoid giving someone the gospel for fear of not being loving Dave showed us years ago the kids wandering towards the pond with a with a blindfold on He's like, what are you gonna do? And everybody just sat there. He's like somebody's gonna get up and tell them to stop, right? Right They're standing on the edge of the cliff they're on the door of the airplane with no parachute and we're standing there going I don't want to say nothing might offend them. He's fixing to fall out the door of the airplane with no parachute Tell him stop being stupid put a parachute on You got to tell him christ is the parachute and without it. You're going to the fiery pit forever We got to be truthful Anyway, so the thing that jesus really wanted to do was he wanted to show the people though my friends my american friends Our friends and our neighbors are enslaved Jesus was telling the people In israel in jerusalem that they are enslaved. They thought they were free They thought if anything they were enslaved only to the romans, but they were enslaved to the law and the law was keeping them from seeking the father It was keeping them from keeping the feast It was keeping them from being diligent in in loving their neighbor as themselves and 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 not coveting and whatever the other things that they were doing It kept them from caring for their parents Did you know that was one of the things of the pharisees that that jesus got on them about was the pharisee says Well, we don't have to give a tithe because we're going to take our tithe And and we don't have to support our parents because instead we're going to take the money We would support our parents with and we'll give it to the church or give it to some other good cause And so their parents are over here starving out And the pharisees thought they were doing good by not obeying and honoring my, my father and mother and the lord for this is right They thought they were doing a good thing by denying their parents the care they were due. And Jesus is like, you bunch of dummies. You bunch of vipers. Care for your, you say you're doing the law, you're not doing the law. What about your poor parents? Care for your parents. Anyway, so in Jesus' day, they were very unaware of the fact that they were enslaved. They were enslaved to the law. In Dale's day, people are very unaware that they are enslaved to sin. What i'm wanting to show you I should have told you this already is the parallels Of the of the jews coming out of egypt, especially the last two plagues And of the last week of jesus's life, so that's what we're looking at i'm sorry I didn't tell you that already so we're kind of trying to look at those two parallels So jesus sees the the enslaved there and he feels sorrow for it Remember he looks at jerusalem and he says oh jerusalem jerusalem I would I would be like a hen that could gather her chicks, but you're so rebellious in your spirit. You just won't hear He's weeping over them because they're like we got this going on. We're keeping all the rules We're doing real good. We're dressed real nice. We've got all the stuff We're free as a bird and he's like you're enslaved And you don't even see that you're enslaved like moses. He's going door-to-door telling these people get ready We're fixing to escape slavery here I'm going to make a way of escape from slavery for you. Just get ready. He begins to work wonders in their midst. Exodus 3.20 talks about how God says to Moses, he goes, I am, and I'm going to work wonders in front of these Egyptians. It's Exodus 3.20 if you want to look it up. And I'm going to work wonders amongst them, and it's going to, it's going to show them that I'm in charge, and that I'm going to, they're going to release you because they're going to see my powers and my wonders. Jesus does the same things as he walks around Jerusalem. He walks on water. He stops storms. He feeds the, the thousands with a, a handful of loaves and fishes. He heals the blind. He heals the sick. He makes the, walk, the, the lame to walk. He takes people that are dead, raises them to life. On his death, the graves are open and people jump out and start walking around. He did signs and wonders. And the thing was, like Moses and Noah before him, He didn't just do the signs and wonders and then go hide in a cave till the next sign and wonder day He was daily being a prophet daily being a pastor to the people to anyone who would hear we were having a little dilemma about about um, who would follow christ and uh, You know would women fall in this crowd? He had a herd of people Following him at all times everywhere. He went The guy could not get any rest. I don't I shouldn't say it like that. He could not get any rest I want to be respectful of his name. He could not get any rest for the number of people that were following him. He had the exodus following him around, and he's leading them, men, women, and children. And they're coming to him for food. They're coming for the wrong purpose. They don't understand all what's going on, but they're following him. This guy's the Messiah. He's the one that's going to provide the stuff. And it's all coming to culminate right there at the time of Passover on the the Last Supper, so-called. And he tells them he who has ears let him hear anybody that within the sound of my voice that can hear what I'm telling you I have the very words of life He's just constantly calling a chosen people into the kingdom of God. and He's gonna that's the true promised land That's the final one. So before his last Passover. He goes back to the temple one last time if you look at Matthew 21 And he goes and cleanses it one more time He goes and warns the Egyptians one last time. He tells them that this is your last chance. It's time to clean up your act. He goes in there and the people witness it and they see the signs and wonders working through Christ as he's going in the temple and doing these works. And uh, the blind and the lame come to him. He heals a couple more of those. He goes, you know, it's spring cleaning, you know, Passover's in the spring. He's cleaning up the mess right now. He's publicly demonstrating his position of authority over all creation. His power, the living water, is pouring out of him everywhere. In fact, if he doesn't restrain it, he would have been obviously revealed as the Messiah, and he can't do it that way. He he will not force you at this point before death until his return. He will not force you to follow him. If he does not conceal his glory, it it was almost... It was so powerful that it was almost seen anyway. Matthew 21, 15 and 16. Hosanna to the son of David. They, they, were, they were just crying out. The kids are running in front of them. The priests, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus replied, fulfilling prophecy. You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babes. And he says, if they weren't going to say anything, the very earth, the rocks were going to cry out. His glory is pouring out. There is no denying that he is the Messiah. It's, a, it's, like a, it's like Creston Road down there. Go down there and see. I got a nice lake running, big rushing torrent going across my driveway right now. Go down there to, what's the one, what's the hollow down here? Uh, Grassy Cove. Go down there, rushing torrent. He was that. The living water is pouring out faster than anybody can, can drink it in. And its glory is so apparent that even unbelievers recognize his innocence when he stands before Pilate. He says, I find no guilt in this man. Give him to us anyway. No one except the truly hardened of heart can refrain from praising him. Because, like we said, if they don't, the earth itself is going to cry out. The angels are sitting there watching and like they, the angels cannot see the future. The angels know what God tells them to know. The angels do what God tells them to do. They're watching. And they're observing Christ, and they're like, they're fixing to cry out. Stuff's fixing to happen. And he's like, everybody calm down. It's not done yet. Sit down. Relax. It's not done yet. But there's some hard people out there. There's some hard people out there today. So then the Passover. He meets with the disciples. He tells them that he had, how I've yearned to have this meal with you. I've been waiting since eternity past to have 12 men, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. Did you ever realize that? One to represent each of the tribes. I've been yearning to have this meeting with you to show you how Passover works and finally explain how this meal works and how I'm in every single part of it. Remember the road to Emmaus? And he's walking back, and it says he starts at Genesis and goes through the Bible and it's like, I was here, I was here, I was here. And while they're walking with them, It takes them till they get to the ending place and they're in the house and they're like, then their eyes were open and they recognized it was him. They're like, man, are we that clueless? I guess we are. Look at John uh, 13. Go to John 13. So he's pouring out. The spirit is, it's just going crazy. Everyone he's going by, it's like the old guy that fell in the pool and he's dripping water. Everywhere he goes, everyone he touches, he gets wet. That's how the spirit's supposed to be on us It's supposed to flow out of us to the point that that everywhere we go We're we're leaving a trail of water that people could follow and see that the spirit was upon us but john 13 1, now before the feast of the passover when jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the father having loved his own uh, Who were in the world? He loved them to the end and supper being ended The devil having already put it into the heart of judas iscariot simon's son to betray him jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Verse 27. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, and Jesus said to him, to Judas, what you do, do quickly. So the devil, at this point, is seeing there's some some supernatural things going on At this point that has never happened before except for creation and maybe the flood and it will not happen again until Christ comes and puts his foot on the Mount of Olives but Satan if he was ever powerful, he's at his most powerful right here in this moment and as believers we need to see this There's more supernatural things that are fixing to happen right here around the cross than has ever happened before And it's all going to happen in one big uh, You know shebang right there so the devil's licking his chops. He sees his chance. He's like, they, we're really going to pull, we are going to kill this king of the Jews. We're going to actually get, a, I can't believe that this is coming together. That, that my seed, you know, God said that the woman's seed's going to crush my seed, but my seed's fixing to crush her seed. And this is, you know, and what he wants to do is kind of draw this out and gloat in the victory. Where my Chronicles of Narnia people, you remember that when Aslan went into the witch, Trying to rescue the life of Edmund He goes in there and he comes back out and he's down Edmund's kind of happy because he doesn't have to lose his life and the witch is You know exuberant. She's really happy But then when it comes to it and aslan has to give his life He's like do it right now And it kind of takes the wind out of her sails because she's like, oh we were going to celebrate Even in this position of submission to the witch Aslan still has control of the situation Right here, jesus does the same thing Satan would like to draw this time out and and just kind of exult in this and he's like listen Whatever you're going to do go do it right now. Now's the time So he doesn't even so even in this at the most powerful satan ever is he's still under the authority of christ And as a believer in christ, we need to attach this promise to our life because we don't do that sometimes we attach things to the power of the evil one in our lives or different things that happen to us And we're not thinking like god's not in this time or he doesn't have enough juice to pull this off or whatever He's in control. He's sovereign though. He slay me Still I will be loyal to him Even if he kills me Satan's not in charge Messiah's in charge As joint heirs with Christ, with him as our mediator, Satan has no control over us other than whatever God gives him for testing. We're learning that in Job. If God gives him a position of testing over us, but even in that, God is, he's the controller. He's the guy steering the car. He's the one, I gotta quit saying guy because he's much more than that. He's the one steering the car. So Jesus tells him, go quickly, do whatever you're gonna do, I'll be right here. And Satan's like, well, rats, you know. He still is unknowing because his mind is temporal. Though he can see all of eternity past, maybe, he can't see eternity future. Satan can put his plans into place, but he can only do, he only can think like you can think. I mean, he may know your tendencies and your weaknesses, you know. Maybe you have an eye for women or you have an eye for men or you have an eye for, you know, uh, gambling or drug addiction or whatever your issue is. And He may know that about you. He may put temptations in front of you that are those things that are going to take you down But he can't see what your response will be. He can only react to what your responses may be God's in control. God is omniscient He knows what's happening in the past and what's going on to happen in the future what you're going to do and what you're not going to do He knows He still allows you the opportunity with volition to make decisions and things like that But he he has all the solutions in hand before the issue ever happens Satan doesn't have that power over you got to remember that But this is the power point of all history right here. This is the power pivot point all of history is fixing to turn right here So christ introduces his men He gives them a new take on the ancient meal of passover No longer is it a meal that looks backwards To their escape from egypt their escape from egypt the picture of sin. It's actually called the wilderness of sin And I know it's not just a play on words it's, it's more than that. It is called that, but it's more than that. Coming out of Egypt, the picture of slavery. And he's like, I'm going to use all that to show you that at this moment, no longer are you held by the slavery of sin, but you can have the freedom that didn't come through the wilderness of sin, but came in the promised land when you actually made it to Canaan. And I was with you the whole time, from the slavery through the wilderness into Canaan. I was there the whole time, and I had it covered the whole time. So we don't have... Any record of Jesus slighting any aspect of the feast that was maybe traditional or anything like that, he doesn't slight any of that. He never does that. It's kind of interesting if you read in the Gospels. He never slights uh, the traditional feasts or even the ones that came later, like the, the Feast of Purim from, from the Age of Ruth or the, uh, the Feast of Lights, uh, Hanukkah. He never, he never slights that one either. He actually... Um, Hanukkah is actually mentioned in the bible and he actually takes part in that feast and says i'm the light of the world And so they're looking for this light and he's like i'm the light This is the light you're looking for but that's another story another day. We'll do that one at christmas time but anyway So we don't have jesus putting those down But when he gets to the last part of the supper the bread and the wine then he just he just zooms in on himself Now I didn't find this in any commentary. So I want to be really careful what i'm going to tell you Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needs not be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth That's for you. You do that when you go home what i'm about to tell you But what I saw Is that these weeks of passover and into the ascension of christ and that last Period of time in egypt have very similar parallels And I just wanted to point those out to you at the passover the last supper Jesus is very clear that the time to move has come it starts with his work in the temple then the prayer, if you go to the book of John, there's these long prayers that he prays for them and for them to be loyal after his death and then for future believers to remain diligent to follow him. So in that, you've got that picture of Moses going, get your stuff together, get your bread dough ready, get ready, go ransack the neighbors, get all this stuff going, we're about to go. Jesus really warns his disciples, and I'd like to go look at all those verses but, but for time, I'll have mercy on you, but you need to know that you can go to John from about John chapter 15 on and read those, those long prayers that he prayed in pre- preparing the people. He speaks to the disciples face to face. He speaks to the greater group of people, but then it pairs down to the disciples, and he tells them, this is what's happening, where a big change is about to occur right here. Look for this resurrection. Look for my return. I'm not going to stay dead. Don't worry. You just, I'm going to die, but I'm going to live. And they're like, what are, you what are you talking about? We can't put this, we, people don't come back from dead, except for Lazarus, you know? We just don't see that. Anyway, so it was hard for him to get. So if you went to Exodus chapter 12, verse 34, you would see that Moses is going to the ladies and, or to the people and saying, get your bread, put it in the pan and tie it on your pack. We're fixing to go, same picture. Then to the garden for the final preparation of the lamb. Where the where where moses goes that last couple times to pharaoh and gives him the word and tells him We're leaving you can't hold us Let my people go and after the darkness which we're going to talk about here in just a second after the darkness pharaoh's like These people man, and then after the death of the firstborn. He's like go. That's what's happening at the garden I wanted to show you something then matthew 26 uh, 57 the inspection by the sanhedrin so Unlike our sheep, the renegade sheep, when he ran through the fence, tragically, we were unable to eat an unblemished lamb because he got a scratch on his beak when he ran through the fence and scratched it on the barbed wire there. But uh, uh, not so with Christ. The perfect sacrifice, he's inspected here. And those that laid hold of Jesus, uh, Matthew 26, 57, led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, and the high priest courtyard and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end now the chief priests the elders and all the council sought false testimony against jesus to put him to death but found none they asking him questions they're bringing people in to ask him questions now uh, let's see but found none even though many false witnesses came forward they found none but at last two false witnesses came forward he paid these jokers off to come in and say things that aren't true and he said this fellow said i'm able to destroy the temple of god and rebuild it in three days And the high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to them, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, he has spoken, blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. Anyway, so he's he's inspected carefully and ultimately seen to be the son of God And when he says I am the son of god i'm the one you're looking for And they and they say okay, we're gonna kill you So now he's good enough to be the sacrifice for all mankind And he's taken to slaughter from there on he doesn't speak Uh he's taken to slaughter and brother (laughs) he never makes a sound it's kind of funny I was telling mark, um you know that lamb, are different from goats, goats are a little more talkative. That thing was silent, and we came in there, and I don't want to be too graphic, but I'm going to be a little graphic, but I took him by his head, and I cut his throat, and that thing never made a peep. And he laid down his life, man, I mean, it was the picture of Christ. He actually, I cut his throat, and he began to bleed, and he just got down on his knees, and he laid his head on the ground like he was going, to, he never made a peep. He never uttered a peep. He just took it, and he laid down his life for us. It was, man, it was amazing. And you watch that, and you're like, man, that's why he used this picture. That's what he did. Because if he speaks anymore, his glory is so powerful that it pours out on them. They're like, we can't kill him. He's the Messiah. So I saw in those verses, well, Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to slaughter and a sheep before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And I saw in those verses that Jesus had a choice. Until the very last moment, he could have just, by the use of his own word, he could have called down angels. They're right there watching. They're ready. One angel kills a hundred and twenty some odd thousand Syrians in a night. It's not I mean, it just takes what two to clean out the whole earth. You know, I mean it doesn't take a lot. He could have called them down and brought them in, and they could have completely done everything and he he doesn't he could have told the father we well, got to figure out a different way to save men i mean they're not even hardly worth it and then well there's got to be a better way than this and he'd add every right to do that i mean he's the creator god he's the commander of the lord's army i saw in another there about where he was talking to, uh, to the father of samson he's like i have a name my name is indescribably wonderful that's what you can know me by indescribably wonderful That's my name And if you can't know me by that then you can't know me because i'm i'm i did all this He wasn't oppressed because he was defenseless and that's important to know he allowed himself to be beaten mocked scourged caught speared hung And god says it's the only way that his righteousness could be satisfied and jesus is going to fulfill god's word He's always going to fulfill god's word. He is the fulfillment of of God's word. He says I didn't come to abolish the law to abrogate the law he, He's the only one that could abrogate the law. He only the person that writes the law can abrogate the law That means change it. I didn't come to abrogate the law. I came to fulfill the law. I am the law And I'm gonna allow you to kill me So that the law can be completed before your eyes. Look at the last two plagues It's in Exodus 10 verse 21. I want you to see this one first The darkness Exodus 10, verse 21. It says, uh, Exodus 10, 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven that there may be a darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. In the Spanish it said palpe, palpable, feelable. It was so dark that the oppression of it could be felt. And I dare say that we've never felt that uh, go to Matthew, we were just there, I know. Flip back over there, Matthew 27. 45. forty five. It says, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was a darkness all over the land. From noon to three in the afternoon, darkness was over the whole land. The land, likely the land of the enslaved, just like in Egypt. The Jews could see in Egypt, but the enslaved or but but the Egyptians, the lost could not. Those that were about to be freed could see, but those that were lost in darkness could not. The the wicked ones, the Egyptians. And it wasn't the whole earth, it was just the lost. That are in the darkness and in both cases you can see this picture of the outer darkness that's talked about in Matthew 8 12 And it says in that outer darkness that those who do not know christ will be cast into this outer darkness And it says in that outer darkness. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth And in egypt In the feelable darkness that was so oppressive the people wept and gnashed their teeth And in the outer darkness of this day at the cross Luke 23, 47 and 48, if you want to see it. It says the same thing. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, certainly this man, truly this was a righteous man and the whole crowd who came together on that site, seeing what they had done, what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. They They wept and they gnashed their teeth. They recognized that they had just killed the only one that could save them. They were caught in the outer darkness, and now they were tormented from their decision. The people saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, and realizing what they had done, they wept and gnashed their teeth. And God was demonstrating to them that truly one greater than Moses was here. And now God requires a sacrifice for sin, the death of the firstborn. What's the name of Jesus? What's he called? For God's love of the world, he gave his only, his only firstborn, unigenito in, in Spanish, which is a better word. It's unique, one of a kind, the only one, his son. That's what it means. So God requires a sacrifice, the death of the firstborn. Before the escape from slavery in Egypt, a huge price had to be paid the death of the firstborns. Now, some of these firstborns would have been young children that had likely not sinned greatly yet, truly innocent, and some were older people, and some were, it was the firstborn of all the animals, the firstborn of everything. Thousands of sheep were slaughtered, 250,000, as many as 250,000 on each Passover in Israel, in Jerusalem, every Passover. All truly innocent, just like that little fellow the other day. He didn't, didn't, do anything wrong i mean i'd have made a run for the border too i suppose if i knew that that was my end he hadn't done anything wrong but he he had to be killed as a trespass as a trespass offering for sin thousands of sheep were slaughtered but that wasn't enough an innocent human life and here's the thing when you're talking to unbelievers about this or maybe you're trying to get this in your mind right now and you're like well why does god require an innocent human life because he does i don't know because he does that's why that's the answer He requires life for life. If we go back to Deuteronomy, we can find that scripture where it was talking about the cities of refuge. And it said, for the shedding of innocent blood, there can be no atonement. Only a life for a life. So if that's the case, a human life had to be given. In the age of of Egypt, thousands of people died in retribution for the lives that they had taken. That was the price that had to be paid. An innocent human life had to be taken. And all those firstborns of Egypt, they weren't sinless. Uh, A a majority of them, probably they had sinned. But the picture is available to anybody that's going to look. That the taking of life that continues until God's wrath is complete is the only thing that he says is enough. You know, he holds the arm of the death angel back. If you're alive today, then the arm of the death angel has been held back from you to this point. You realize that? That God has control over your very last breath. It's a, it's a big deal. Only those with the blood on the doorpost were safe. You know, in when you see Mary and John at the cross, you don't see them weeping and gnashing their teeth. Gnashing their teeth is like this, gritting your teeth, angry, spitting fire. Uh, uh, They weren't that. They were weeping. At the loss of the savior because they saw him as the savior But they weren't weeping in anger. They weren't in anguish as far as uh, angst as far as uh, Hatred against the lord. They were weeping because they loved them But these others were like it was a different kind of pain It's the pain that's talked about in revelation when those that are cast out and they're cast out again into the outer darkness Weeping and gnashing teeth. They hate god. They don't love god now. They're not going to love god then they're not going to seek God now. They're not going to seek God then. And think about this: the Jews of Egypt, they saw all these wonders. I got to move this for a second. They saw all these wonders, and they were told to put blood on the doorposts. Maybe we have one marker that marks It'd be a miracle, a miracle. It's a miraculous. You just saw a miracle. They were told to put blood on the doorposts. So I'm going to draw a door here for you we have a door. Here's the door casing. Here's the the lintel there. There's the side. Here's the other side. Okay. And so, so you've just seen all the wonders of God, okay? You've just seen all these wonders. And Moses comes to you, you're a Jew, and he says, Put blood on your doorpost. If you do, your firstborn will be alive. He'll live. If not, he's going to die. Now tell me what the paint job looks like that we put on here. Do we put a little, like just a little drop right here and a little dot right here? Or do we put the blood on the thing like this? And then I make sure I get it right here. And I make sure I get it. I mean, I want to be sure, right? I don't want to miss a spot. Heck, I'm going to lose the house anyway. They're fixing to have a terrible uh, dadgum housing market there. Two million people are fixing to leave. You could buy a dang. I don't got to clean it up. He said put blood on the door. I'm putting the blood on the door. I'm putting it all on there. You know, believers, many of us are saved by this right here, this one little drop, and we think it's enough, and it is. One drop of Christ's blood is enough. But I'm telling you, much better to have this coating on this door, and I got to show you something else. It's going to mess you up. I'm going to draw another door over here. I'm a good drawer drawer. Look at that. Look at that thing. All right. It's going to mess you up a little bit. I just discovered this. The name of God. Top secret name. Hashem. 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 It is represented by this Hebrew letter. I'm going to show you something right here. They painted the name of God on the door. Every single Jew was saved by painting the name of God on the door of their house. Now I'm going to show you something else that you need to know, you need to understand. God did a harsh thing because he killed all the livestock of all the people of the land except for the Jews. But there was a mixed multitude of which you are one, and you had recognized that the wonders of God was at work in these people's life, right? But you ain't got no lamb. Your lamb is died in the plague back here. So how do you get the blower, the blood on the door? It's got to come from the neighbor, right? It's got to come from the witness of the Jew that goes to the mixed multitude and says, listen, you're fixing to die in this thing if you don't put the blood on the door. If I warn you, if I give you the warning, if I give you the gospel, then you too could be saved, right? And you, I got plenty of blood. There's a lot of blood in the lamb, I'm going to tell you. It gets everywhere. It's a lot. You should see it sometime. You should do it. So I give you some blood, and you can go put it on your door. And now those of the mixed multitude can have salvation as well. And the reason I'm telling you this is because your mission as a believer in Christ is to share the gospel of life with your neighbors. That, that Hebrew letter ha or he, it's H-E with an a, a I on the end, or it can be just H-E, It means the name. The blood had to be shed because the Bible says without the shedding of blood there can be no remission and the end of that would be of sin. There can be no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Blood has to be shed. God shed the blood of the only innocent human that ever lived on the cross that day. The Bible says surely the blood of God was shed that day. It was the blood of God on the cross that was shed that day. The blood had to be shed. So we're covered by as little as one dot or one drop, or as if we put the whole coating on there, I strongly suggest the full coating myself, but our neighbor needs a coating as well, and um how's he going to get it without those of us who possess the lamb? He has no He has no idea that he even needs a lamb, so then there's the death and the resurrection, and like with the Jews in egypt, the freedom the freedom didn't fully come until The sun came up. The death came in the night. Sorrow comes but for a night, but joy comes in the morning. In the morning, they fled. Those that had passed from death to life in the home with the blood on the door were raised to walk in newness of life when they opened the door and they were free to escape from Egypt. Ah. some of them struggled with taking their slavery with them. A, a majority of them did. They took some of that sin with them, but they were saved nonetheless. They were saved to live. And uh, then they left that place of slavery and began that journey of the entering in or being the called out. What the New Testament calls the called out. They were called out of Egypt. And they were taken into the promised land. They were led by a savior, Moses. And uh, there's so many more pictures that goes on with that. but We're you know low on time there, so we'll stop. But uh, but even that I was thinking about jed and I chasing this sheep around And it took two pastors to get the thing <laughs> Into the barn then we let it out of the barn and we got it caught back in the barn and uh But you know christ was followed by the holy spirit He didn't leave the people pastorless He didn't leave the people shepherdless And then he left his people that the holy spirit filled To tell others about the hope that was within him And with Moses, we see that with Joshua. He didn't leave the people shepherdless. He left them Joshua. Moses gives it to Joshua. He passes the mantle and so on. So what is the mission? What's our mission? Some people ask me, you know, I actually have been, uh, anyway, some people have asked me, well, you know, what's our mission? What are we doing? What are we doing? We can't do nothing. Here's your mission. Go take some blood to your neighbor's door. That's the mission. You know, okay, we can't go to wherever right now, but the reason the United States is in the spot that it's in is because people quit taking the blood to the neighbor's door. Nobody's killing a sheep and sharing the blood. We're not telling them about the lamb that we have. Why aren't we working here? The question, question twelve on the thing, it was like, are you loving your neighbor? Well, are you? Are you loving your neighbor by just going over there and you know, hey, I found out you guys were you know had the flu, so we brought over a thing of soup. Okay, soup lasts for a day, but what about for life? And in that girl weeping for her country. Do you weep for your nation? Do you weep for your county? Do you weep for your neighbor? Are you willing to do anything for your neighbor? Are you willing to even bring them a little drop of blood there and and help them with it on the door? It's more than just doing a kind deed for someone. You've got to speak the words of life to them. You can't just leave them hanging right there. You know, we've, we're in this time where we can't really travel, we can't really do much, and it looks like the doors are starting to open again, but we might have missed an opportunity here of, of preaching to the lost that around here. This is a tough crowd around here. I'm telling you, take it from a guy, I go to the rescue mission, I go other places, I try to give people, I try to talk to people. If you're if you're gonna come, a b- guy brought a load of concrete to us the other day, and um, I try to get Keith to do it, and he's like, I ain't doing it. <laughs> but I, was, I go over there and I give him a Gospel of John and talk to him about it. I mean, that's the least... That's the least you can do. The Gospel of John is for those that have yet to believe. We've got a big stack on. We've got stacks back there. You just hand them the book, and, and the, the word's not going to return void. But but do the part to allow the neighbor to, to receive the blood, man. Anyway, I had a really interesting time of study there. I don't want you to take all what I told you. If you want the notes and you want to go through them, uh, you know, I'll print you off some or I can email you some. But, but, uh, there's a lot more going on with Passover than we seem to recognize. And there's a lot more going on with the Messiah than we seem to recognize. And I think we're in a really tough time and, and going towards a tough time as a nation. And we're, we're, if we're any time behind Canada, we're mere a year to months behind them. They just put one of their pastors in jail for about a month uh, because he just ref- the only thing he refused to do was close his church. So they put him in jail because he wouldn't, he wouldn't close his church they're going after pastors there they have a hate crimes law there uh they can't speak about anything you know transgender or gay marriage and all that stuff they can't speak about it at all if they are they get fined they go to jail we're man they're trying to they're trying to do that right now so take the time right now while the door is open while the window of time is open to be a minister of the gospel to your neighbors okay all right Father, this morning we thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that your word will not return void. I pray that it wasn't spoken incorrectly or falsely or heretically or any other thing, Lord. I pray that it only points people to you. Father, I pray that, uh, that, that the Messiah, Jesus, would be more visible to us now than it's ever been in our lives. I, I pray that the busyness of the world and the different things that we fill our life with, that they haven't obscured our view of the Messiah. I ask for your mercy in that, Lord. We've spent a lot of time on a lot of things and none of them are eternal. And in that, I I have great fear for the church in the United States. So I pray for our country, Lord. I pray for those that are left, that are the remnant, that still desire to seek your face and still desire to do your will, Lord. I pray that we'll be good good neighbors and that we'll go and give the the testimony of Jesus Christ to anyone who will hear, to anyone that we come in contact with, Lord, I, I, I fear that we're afraid of being abrasive or being too in people's face, but because we haven't been, our nation is failing. So Father, I pray for our nation now, Lord. I pray that the eyes of the, the ears of the people would be open, that they could see us as a set of heart people. I pray that our people would, would repent of the, the weakness that we've had in sharing our faith and the fears that we've had. Lord, that you would, you would cure us of that and give us boldness, that we would go and, and speak to any who would hear Lord, you you showed us that. He who has ears, let him hear. If they got ears on the side of their head, then we should be speaking into them, Lord, the very words of life. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, your care for us. Lord, we thank you for this, this, this time we had yesterday, what a blessing it was. Thank you that in time past, you caused a relationship to be built, that we had someone we could call, that you could provide someone in that moment that we needed it to come fix the problem septic system you're working you're always working lord i i thank you for the ways you're working behind the scenes we don't even see it we don't even recognize it and you're always you're going the one who goes before you're always going before and you're making the way straight lord i pray for this fellowship lord i pray for this church i'm grateful for what a nice place to to be in i'm grateful for the protection from the weather and i pray lord that that's all well and good but without your presence here it's nothing So we pray that your presence would remain with us, Lord, and that you would speak through those that speak here and that your spirit would be amongst us. We thank you, Lord, for all your goodness to us, your care for us, and for these that have come, Lord. Pray you convict their spirits this day and and help them to use the word that you've given to reach others with the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.